Over 25 years earlier, a television show appeared on Tokyo TV's from the fledgling Subaraya Productions. Continuing its legacy this week, we look at a film that takes the mysterious tokusatsu and daikaiju-soaked Twilight Zone tales and completely reimagines what a kaiju film could become. This is Kaiju vs. History, Ultra Q, the movie, Legend of the Stars. Kaiju versus history. This is a magical floating space bean, better known as Patrick. And joining me is a celestial moon maiden, long overdue for some special sake. Miles. Hey, 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 hey. What a weird movie. <laughs> Miles yeah, this, yeah. This, week, this is this is an interesting one. Um, this is the reason I started this podcast with you specifically to seek yeah. out these movies. I mean, neither of us have seen this before, but suffice to say, no, I never heard about funny. it. Funny, uh, I, I mean, before we started, the, like, because you know, I have a, a pass. I had a passing, not more than a passing. I had an interest in the Ultra franchise, and yeah. so this has always been on my radar. I never saw it, and once we watched the original series, I was like, oh man, I know they did that reboot movie. Cannot wait to get to it, and especially because Drew and I on the More You Nerd did an Ultraman month where we kind of tried to do some crash course through some Ultraman programs. And I mean, yeah, I, I love this franchise. And so the idea of doing that kind of uh, Twilight Zone pre X-Files type of thing as a film, I was like, this is going to be great. So and it's so X-Files before the X-Files. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. Um, and it's it's wild. Uh, this movie is is so last last week's movie was uh Kaiju adjacent because of, you know, the creatures not maybe technically being Daikaiju. I would call this one Kaiju adjacent, mostly because the the Kaiju is uh, there is certainly a Kaiju there that has a name, but it is a non-factor really in this story. I mean, it's it's based around a lot of of like real life legends, which is very. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not not saying it's 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 not a Kaiju. I'm just saying the film itself is not interested in it well it is it is funny coming from the ultra q series where 90 percent of the episodes are laser focused on a giant monster Mm -hmm. being the you know the most interesting thing which is why that show became so popular and why ultraman spun out of it yeah this movie does you know more than 25 years later takes a different tact and I, goes do you for feel like, a, like mm-hmm. I was gonna say, do you feel like uh, go ahead and finish your, your thought? I'm sorry. Well, it just it 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 really leans into the Twilight Zone mystery element of it instead of how do we stop this kaiju, you know? Right. And I I appreciate this is a breath of fresh air, really. Yeah, oh oh I I fully agree. I, I do want to talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but do you feel like that the reason this movie takes the approach it does is because beforehand you you really had Godzilla and friends, and that's kind of it. And so doing different monsters every week was an interesting thing to do. 
But since that, you've had 25 years of Ultraman programs mm-hmm. and Ultraman films. Do you think maybe possibly taking that that kind of curve of okay, let's focus on the the investigative human part of it as what made Ultra Q special and different from Ultraman? Well, it, you feel like that might be the why they they went the route they did. Yeah, and it, I mean we're going to get to it in our, our our ratings later, but the evocative nature of this is through the roof for me because I really do honestly believe this inspires a whole nother path of of kaiju films that that we're going to get in actually mostly the 2000s i think the 90s is really dominated by your godzilla and your gamera mm-hmm. but there are so many more kind of um human focused kaiju films that do come out and i think this movie is is really the start of them yeah i, I appreciate this a great great deal of course we are talking about ultra q the movie Legend of the Stars. Uh, what a what a mouthful, Miles. It yeah, came, and, came out and April fourteenth, nineteen ninety. I was is sick. I'd ago. ask you what's in a title, but is there anything? This is kind of a specifically like stayed in Japan movie, right? Um, unfortunately, I don't think it really got wide release outside of the Asian you know market because while Ultraman was huge, still. Ultra Q, you know, I don't think had the same kind of staying power. Oratora mm-hmm. uh, Q Zamubi Hoshi no Densetsu is the, the Japanese title. It also just goes by Ultra Q, the movie. Sometimes you won't find the the Legend of the Stars subtitle, but altogether, fine. <laughs> altogether, it is quite a mouthful, and that's that. That's what we're going. <laughs> we're we're going with the the full full title because I think that's what you'll you'll find it most under from from letterboxed on yeah and i want to say that there was a i thought there was a a dvd the international dvd release of this one that at least had the english subs on it i could be wrong about that yeah i don't think so that the thing is there's just so little information about this film out there in general it it was hard doing a little bit of research for this (laughs) i will say the the poster that uh, that uh, or the the character kind of art. I love this poster. It's so weird. It makes me think of like God, what were those animated metal movies from metal. from the eighties? Heavy metal. It makes me think of heavy metal. No, it well, it, it so looks much. like a cover of Heavy Metal magazine. It really does. Yes, this is like an advertisement. I don't know if this is like the actual film poster, but it has. Both the kaiju, like part of the kaiju's head, and our our main soyjin, or what, I, I'm forgetting the, the Japanese name for like alien, <laughs> but our our other main kaijin in in the film. Yeah, yeah, not not too much to the title, but a lot of historical kind of context for this movie, and this brings back a theme which was prevalent in. I'd say the late 60s, early 70s, which is, you know, modern society versus the ancient world. Mm-hmm. We we got a lot of that in that time period before, you know, I guess the Showa era kind of came to an end and it got into like more kid-friendly territory. But yeah, the tourism industry in this time period in Japan is exploding. Part of that is because people want to come there and watch, visit and experience the pristine ancient temples and 
shrines and, and those are two different things, but they've had this longstanding tradition in Japan that has left those areas of the country really untouched for centuries. But this film shows, you know, them wanting to com- commoditize and create tourist centers around them and kind of destroying some parts of those sites in in the meantime it's actually a main plot point of the the story yeah. and like why the the monster is there i uh in, in doing research for the 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 legends that they go over in in this this film i thought maybe they had made them up like they weren't real japanese legends the tale of the the fisherman and the the well they 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 have uh, our our main alien character indeed come down from the heavens but the the legend of Hagoromo is the the a swan descends to a lake and takes off becomes a woman takes off her celestial feather robe and then someone steals it so she can't go back up to heaven that is our alien origin story and the other story in this the the tale of the fisherman is that of Urashima Taro, which they mention a great deal in this movie, mm-hmm. where a fisherman saves a turtle from being bullied and releases it to sea. And in gratitude, it takes him to like an underwater kingdom where he meets a, a sea princess, which is mentioned a great deal as well. And she gives him a magical box and says, don't open it. He returns to the land. Um, 700 years has passed. And he opens up the box and transforms into an old man with wrinkles and dies. Uh, does that sound familiar, Miles? That that Just tale. A bit. That's they've already done that legend in episode six of Ultra Q, which is my least favorite episode. Yeah, I of remember that series. <laughs> Grow Up Turtle episode six, where <laughs> indeed a young boy makes friends with a a turtle who brings him to like a dreamlike undersea castle and yeah i remember that <laughs> at the at the he's riding the turtle through the sky and at the end he becomes like an old man and i think it's just in his dream that that makes zero sense but a lot more sense after reading the the legend of the the fisherman <laughs> right <laughs> the the so, production what were you gonna say sorry oh well i was doing I was going to say that this is interesting just because, you know, in a lot of the kaiju movies, we have the, oh, science has pushed us to this this point. And now we've kind of traded that out with modernization and mm-hmm. industrialism, uh, industrialization, kind of, yeah, like you said, moving into these rural areas. And I, I really liked that this was uh, a focal point to the the film. However, I wish the movie wasn't sometimes as heavy handed that that final scene when they're when the rocket's taken off and all you see is all these beer cans being blown like this like avalanche <laughs> of beer cans that came out of nowhere <laughs> and i'm yeah. like I, I i get it like you're you're supposed to say like oh we're, we're we're trash we're trashing the earth but like that's that was a little much <laughs> <laughs> a little heavy-handed <laughs> so the the production history of this film was is very interesting it is a super eye productions Film, you know, it's Ultra Q is made by Subaraya, but this was uh, co-produced by Shochiku, which was still uh, in business at the time. I think they distributed the film also funded by Sega Enterprises, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which had money to burn, I guess. 
Did they do the Ultraman games? Maybe. That's something to look into. Let's check. Man, I don't think they did, but I mean, it would make sense if, because I know the, the one that made it here was that, that Super Nintendo game. Why did this movie come about, though, when it did, 1990? And that, that's the main question that it does seem awash in between, like, maybe because Godzilla came back and did okay, they they thought it was time to to make something along those lines. The Twilight Zone had a movie in 1983 and a revival series in, in 85. Steven Spielberg had the amazing stories in 1986. None of those are, you know, giant monsters, but I think it brought back a little bit of love for those serialized or not serialized, but individual, you know, mystery stories. So it is interesting that Ultra Q gets to exist here because this is kind of a doldrums for the Ultraman series, the Showa Mm -hmm. era mainstay film or a, TV shows ended in 1981 with Ultraman 80 and the Heisei series wouldn't really begin until I think 1995 or 96 with, with Taiga Taiga. And then they had a Ultraman revive. Tiga, I think it's film. Tiga. Uh, yes. And I mean, that's a huge gap. That's like a uh, 14 year gap larger. It than is. Gap and in the Godzilla series. Uh, having, having watched some of Ultraman Tiga, um, you know, they, they, they do a really good job of like rebooting it, but also making it feel very much part of that super I don't want to say lineage, I, I guess is the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Uh, as Ultraman uh, <laughs> continues, it gets crazier and crazier as the common writers do as well. Oh yeah. But so, but I, I I really, really dig the the attempt to make a science fiction like mystery story out of this and and fantasy you know it it really does mix those real life fairy tales the japanese fairy tales Mm -hmm. with this ancient aliens plot which which i enjoyed and really until the second half of the movie when we find out a little bit more of that angle the first half of this movie feels like a horror film like when a great um, murder mystery too yeah um uh the main not the main but the the initial uh report is it, is it uh the, the older Hamataro? reporters uh men no, no 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 the the one they're looking for that we've our first following is yes it I, I believe so so when he is on his investigation covering those murders which i also love how they just let tv crew on the, an active crime scene like it's <laughs> one thing to be like bug bug someone for a quote but these guys are like touching stuff and are walking around this active construction site uh crime scene getting into police people's uh faces asking them questions and i was just like wow that's that's different um uh, tetsuji hamano is hamano yeah so and, and first you're like is he the killer because well, yeah because they, they, they make some references to the and... pencil he has because he chews yeah. the ends of his pencils um so when we follow him to this uh, seaside village, I got massive Lovecraftian vibes from that sequence because, oh, you know, goodness gracious. And it's, I mean, wonderfully eerie because you see the people start leaving their houses and you hear the, the, the kind of the ultra Q drum beat start up. Mm-hmm. And you know that the something is going on with the, the caretaker of the house that he's staying in. And it is I mean, borderline horror, and it's wonderful. And that really is 
kind of the setup of the movie because the rest of the movie is his coworkers slash friends looking for him and following these these breadcrumbs to where he is. I I I can't hold back and wait for the the talk about our favorite scenes because my favorite scene, my God, is the the, the second time we see the 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 townsfolk in their kind of cultist attire mm-hmm. during the eclipse on on the area near the Eternal Island. I thought I was watching an Ari Aster A24 film, Miles, because it's so no, well no, no. Shot. I, I knew I was still watching a good movie. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I thought, thought you oh, might, yeah, yeah, you don't know take. my Ari Aster hot takes. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's so out of left field. It's shot so interesting. The people like falling down the sand dunes. It, it's some of the most oh, beautiful yeah. locations in the entire film as well. And it kind of looks like an outdoor Japanese kabuki play in, in some of like the horror elements. It, I, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think, and I think part of that is how, I mean, how artistically this film is directed because that is the biggest thing is there are elements that this could have seen like any sort of like tokusatsu daikaiju film, but the added focus on the human mystery and the innate horror and mysticism of it the way in, in which it's directed because that's why I, I picked up that oh this is like a horror film and, and I, even though i made you know the ari Aster joke i think you're right the way that this is directed as if it's its own magical realism film and it's so artistically blocked and designed visually that it's so different than what i would expect going into an ultra q movie and yeah. i think that's what actually brings it closer to like an x files where like it's taking its subject matter very seriously even though you have what you could perceive at some points even though you realize that she isn't some sort of tokusatsu boss <laughs> um you know in these moments where they call it a robot are 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 shooting off these deadly water rays at the 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 film crew it's still shot extremely artistically. It never feels like, ha ha, Rangers. You know, it's, I, it's not, me, it doesn't I really, feel like television. I, I expected it to to feel a little bit like television. Um, the director, Akio uh, Jisoji, is an Ultraman director. He He's directed, right, you know, but he hadn't done anything in, in this for a while. Well, you know, there hasn't been Ultraman television for, for a decade or nine years since when this movie was shot. But yeah, from from the Ultraman fandom wiki, many many of his works by fans are considered unorthodox in their storytelling and camera work, often turning conventions of the franchise formula upside down. Some even border on surrealist, uh, similar to the art house movies he worked on in the 1970s. I think that's a pretty good summary for this film in general. There's some, there's a lot of the DNA from the original ultra Q series, but I feel like this is its own thing. It really stretches out the, what would be mm-hmm. the first five minutes of an ultra Q episode and turns that into like the first hour of this movie. And this is a long movie. It uh, we, is. We don't, I was we don't kind of surprised to, how long this one felt. Yeah. We don't get to the Kaiju until the hour mark. I, I feel like, well, and it's like I said, I feel like the Kaiju is a little bit of a non factor here. Even well, though it's named, even though it's a cool looking kaiju, I yeah, really liked. Let's talk about the the technicals, Nagira. the the suits. Yeah, Nagira, I love the design. 
Uh, I think it's a really, really cool design. It, it honestly has this kind of either magical dragon or cosmic horror look to it, which leans into the vibes I get from this movie, and especially that first attack or even its first appearance where you just see the tail. I, I think there's something that they're, I think they made the right choice by not making this a, by making this a kaiju adjacent film because mm-hmm. it being more of a, a nature of, or a, a, a being of nature or spirit as opposed to a force of nature, I think mm-hmm. is a lot more interesting in the story that it's trying to tell, uh, which is why I don't really care that much, even though I understand what they're trying to do. The kind of epilogue of this film, which adds a a creature attack, I think, just to to add a creature attack. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm surprised that it does does not devolve into like a military trying to stop the beast at the end. I feel like that been so easy for Super I to like lay up, you know. But no, they they just kind of continue with the the mystical magical elements of of the monster and and what it represents up until the end i i like the design i love the crazy horns the mm-hmm. scepter the horns tail. The, the, the horns are cool the the way they they have the lightning charge up and fire is is great he's, he's got um, a, a pretty good beam attack um it does it's it's very reminiscent of of our our, our main boy and yeah he's even a, he's some of the music Saurian was kind style. of giving me godzilla notes yeah yeah his i guess his kind of theme is is a little ifakube inspired which is is interesting but i mean that's that's (laughs) that's ultra q in a nutshell is just taking elements of godzilla films and and repurposing them so yeah i mean that that, that's that's absolutely true the pseudimation isn't amazing the acting i don't even know if we know who was in the suit i mean i could not find that on any of the I can't really judge it because he's on screen for so little time and is asked to do so little. I mean, he's mostly there for atmosphere shots and getting to see him like lights and buildings on fire. I can't really hold it again because this is really a kaiju adjacent film. I can't really hold it against the suit actor because, yeah, we don't get to see much of that monster's personality. Yeah, the the Japanese Wikipedia, I think, has him listed as a Ryoji Matsuoka, which don't even have a a link to so must have just been a, a subaraya actor uh <laughs> the the clay figure um wadatsujin <laughs> supposedly it was masao uh, fukasawa who was of course manila <laughs> in uh in some of the godzilla productions oh um, so yeah let's talk a little bit about the our human characters because they all they all work for ttv which I assume is Tokyo Television. I want a TTV jacket so bad, Miles. I or, do too. Or I want to go to Build a Bear and get a Tanuki. Raccoon. <laughs> uh, yeah, a raccoon. So that Tanuki, yeah. With the jacket on, I won't be like just embroider TTV on the back of a cute jacket. Yeah, the, that the, is. The, I forgot the, the character. I didn't write down the mascots, the TV mascots. Oh name. gosh, what did she keep calling it? Um, yeah, she keeps calling it. It's he shows up so much in this movie. He's in the he movie. shows up more than the kaiju does. More th- oh yeah, for sure. But more than a lot of the main characters. I I thought there was going to be more payoff for for him or you know, they they animate the 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 doll to fight the monster at the end. So, 
I, I really love the and because I'm a big fan of these in general, it, it's, even my my horror because I was a big fan of like the the apostolary YouTube horror of the late 2000s that were like journal entries and and mm-hmm. they were always like um you know scavenger hunts and and trying to find these different things which ended up you know making a bigger uh, world building and this gave me a little bit of the, those vibes when they're trying to find Hamano and. I, I just love that, like, they, they keep coming to certain places and then they get, you know, first a voice that says, you know, stop looking for him. And and this is where this, the scripting, I think, it could have been a lot better because we eventually get introduced to, oh gosh, what's her name? Uh, Mayumi Hoshino. Mayumi, yeah. Um, our kind of mysterious woman in, in, in the film. And I, I gotta say, like, the script is so good. I was guessing... And second guessing myself multiple times is like, is she a good guy? And Hamano yeah, is a I, bad I, guy. I love I love that nature of this script. It was so very much. gray in multiple where, points. Where and, the script starts to fail for me mm-hmm. is in some of the characters. I thought Ipe and in Eureka, the younger reporters, were gonna be more of the main characters, and it Kind of Me turned out too. they were because I feel like they would have been the main characters in the Ultra Q television yeah, in, show. In, in any other thing, they would have been the main characters. But I like they did the older guys just just for fun. But <laughs> Ipe bugged me because at the halfway point they change his character, who like is on board with everything, and then all of a sudden, when Manjume returns and is telling them everything. He doesn't believe any of it, despite the fact that he has been attacked by a creature shooting water at him and seen a giant kaiju. He's like, aliens, please. I'm um, like, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, all three of those main characters are based on the Ultra Q characters. Kind of like there's Majome was like the main pilot and Ipe was like the mechanic or like co-pilot. But Yuriko was the like scrappy reporter character from from right. the series who I felt like was more of a main character than than some of the the guys. So I it it felt a little bad not getting them well more they, dialogue, more screen time. This really is a Toshio Shiba plays uh, Menjome, um, Jun Jun Menjome in in the film, and he does a great job. I, I think he does. Yeah. A, Great job, along with the the woman Mio Takaki, who plays Hoshino. So I do another problem I had with this script is they start insinuating that there is a connection, possibly romantic, between Majume and the the woman, the mystery woman, and that it's written so weird. And it could be maybe it was the the, the uh, subtitles, but like, well, and it's just just the mystery of it. I, I thought it's like. Is she trying to trick him and then she's pretending to like, you know, not trust him for that reason? Right. It, I mean, it, there's there's mystery elements that work, but then there's actual elements that don't seem to, especially when you find out she's not trying to trick him. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely some connection there, but they, they just they don't do anything with it. And it's 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 really weird. It's well, a it, weirdly written they, they connect dynamic. them multiple times and like she confides in him and, and her kind of alien people's mission to make, you know, kind of a tragic ending where they're, they're separated. I think it works in some ways. I think is probably going to be better on a second watching 
Maybe. I do intend to do when I, I have the time, but this is a movie you really have to like bear down and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and watch because there's so much dialogue in it, so much history. Like I said, it's the reason this podcast was made to get deep dive into these Japanese gems that we just did not get over here. Yeah. And I mean, because it's weird. The more I'm talking about, the more I have like like nitpicks about it, because Mm -hmm. like as I was watching it, I I was loving everything that was happening until, you know, we have the final like bit where all of the TTV people. Well, our main cast goes to the Eternal Island, which. All right. Just being a jerk for a second. Like some water parts on like a 50 yard difference between the land and the island. Like you could swim there. Um, (laughs) That part to me was a little okay. Um, It was was magic. And that's fine too. But also, like, I can see it right there. You can, I mean, is there a rip current or something? Because, like, you got to tell me why I can't get over there. (laughs) They, They have this understanding. Everyone, everyone is like kind of on the same level of what's happened. And we get a great explanation of, of everything. And he's like, I'm going to go back and tell them to cancel the project so that no one comes here and, you know, just take care of Hamano. And I'm like, cool, great ending. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the time, like, wait, there's 25 minutes left in this movie. What, <laughs> what is going on? And, and it's like what people accuse the Lord of the Rings Return of the King for having this, this has, there's like this extra ending, this epilogue that lasts forever where, they try to convince the TV station to shut down the production. Not only does like they not want to do it, but they they tell all the other people, oh, there's this nonsense happening at this specific village. And, and that makes them want to build it more. Yeah, all these people <laughs> go to build something and that causes them to, you know, call upon Nagira, who destroys all the buildings. And it's all because of the chief was yelling at what's her bucket <laughs> Hoshino and and she's like I didn't like it <laughs> so I told him everything and then somehow at the end the chief because so after the attack the TGV crew the the main tr- trio mm-hmm. goes to the village and they see the rocket ship leave because oh yeah we found out that they, the initial like celestial maiden or whatever it was an alien who was trying to preserve Japan's beauty and so all of the followers of the Eternal Island leave with her in her spaceship. Yeah, and they I, I was a little confused. Off. Were they also descendants of I think so. Of her because people? what she, they turned into what she was saying is is that Hamano she recognized that he was descendant because of his heart and because well, of his him caring about the well, he was also a descendant of the fishermen the fisher from people, the story. Yeah. So yeah, I think they might have been descendants descendants of the aliens yeah i i was a little unclear but i just assumed that was the case yeah. and so, so we see this rocket ship two kind of peoples yeah um descendant through ancient uh japanese history which, which was very interesting uh the the wadzutsin by the way was based on like actual jumon era designs from that's cool yeah, I've got it in the notes here. One of the little kind of like fertility statues, what it looks like that they based that figure on in the film. And the robot version, they keep calling it a robot, which I mean, yeah, I guess it, it looks like the android from Metropolis, uh, the, the, the feminine 
Yeah, it, I definitely, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I definitely got a Metropolis vibe from from that that version of her. Yeah, I, I think all the modes of of that character for um, um, Oshino look pretty cool. I don't know about the statue. I don't know how much that was needed in the the transformation, but she she looks cool in her kind of red clothing, the like the the princess dress she gets at the end of of the film. There's so much great costuming in general. There, in there's, I I agree. Oh, so to to, to finish what I was saying, somehow yeah. at the end of that epilogue, when they go back to like say what happened, the chief is there acting exhausted and is like, oh man, that was crazy, right? I wonder where they were going, and I'm like. <laughs> Were were you there? <laughs> like th- uh, that would have been tons of uh, of people that had seen that. Well, that. so that's the weird thing is like they don't really communicate like how well known this is. They know I know that like at some point that uh, someone mentions that oh yeah there is a giant monster but that's up to the the scientists and the military to figure out. And I was like wait what like do <laughs> other people know this? I'm so used to like especially in horror the and 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 some science fiction. Things being being in in its own realm of secrecy or uh, sphere of knowledge, and here it seems like I guess everyone knew what was going on. Yeah. But either way, like everything that happens after the TV crew leaves the Eternal Island, kind of grates on my nerves. I wish it had just ended there. Yeah. If no, it had yeah. just ended there, I mean, I would be just singing praises, and I'm still going to sing in praises. I think this is an excellent movie. Yeah, and you know. Uh, it's very hard to find Japanese reviews of this from the time period, but on your IMDb's and Letterbox, it does get three, three and a half uh, stars out of five. Pretty good. It's pretty good for something so esoteric. Uh, one of the four and a half star reviews by uh, on Letterbox by someone named Jared Faust calls this a bizarre, beautiful, and esoteric and wholly unique entry into the genre. I got to agree with him there. Also mm-hmm. says that it feels like a missing link between Godzilla versus Biollante and Gamera Guardian of the Universe. I I, can, I kind of agree with him there as well. This, this movie stylistically very much reminds me of uh, versus Biollante. It's very artistic. Um, yeah. Kind of kaiju movie. When you take those those three things there. I mean, this this is kind of what people remember for that. The Heisei era is there's something magic in the water here where. Mm-hmm. We are doing something with the kaiju genre that wasn't being done to its artistic completion before on the level. I mean, we've certainly talked about plenty of excellent movies that have have worked. That's not what I'm talking about. But with Godzilla Biollante, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with this film and what we'll talk about with Gamera and which which are different than some of the Godzilla movies we're going to talk about in the coming weeks as well, because they are their own their own thing a little bit. Which this this <laughs> this review actually humorously refers to as to whatever the f Koichi Kawada and company were doing with the Godzilla nineties <laughs> movies. Oh, they um, got they got pretty wacky, that's for sure. They, they do, but like I think enjoyably so. But yeah, there is something special that is happening with this genre, where I think maybe as a byproduct of a lot of the serious science fiction manga and anime that were developed in the eighties in Japan. I think you have certain creators who are either feeling like they can or allowing themselves to look at this genre from a different lens and do something wildly unique and interesting. And this, this movie absolutely does that. Well, let's get to our ratings. Um, I, I, this is one of the first times I don't have my 
ratings, final thoughts written out because I, I, I've been so backed up. Uh, <laughs> I was sick this week, which is why I sound like this and why I only finished this movie like an hour before we started recording. I have a general idea of like what my scores are going to be, and they're pretty high mm-hmm. for my for my personal enjoyment. This is getting near top marks because I can I can easily watch this movie again as like thick and involved as it is. I think it does invite multiple viewings. You do have to be in a mood for this. Yes. I wouldn't call this kaiju adjacent because there's a giant monster and destroy stuff, but Mm. it takes a long time to get to it. The mystery is it's it's also it's a non-factor in this movie. It really is. Well, it just it doesn't seem like the I mean, without the the, kaiju, this movie would still be the same. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, but I feel like because it doesn't attack Tokyo, you know, the the its destruction or impact is really limited in the film. Uh, that being said, like I said, I enjoyed just uh, just about every single part of this movie. Uh, I'm giving it a nine out of 10 for personal enjoyment. That is that is high, yeah. but I, I'm just writing the the high from Tremors last week. And you can't find two more different kaiju adjacent films miles i dare you i i don't know how different they are in this terms and of Tremors? what they're doing oh they're very yeah different. They're, they're very different films not disagreeing with that what they are doing as kaiju adjacent films i think are very similar mm-hmm. whereas tremors is a distinctly american thing that is responding to american styles and trends from monster movies mm. ultra q is doing something very very similar but doing stuff with, with culturally japanese things and kind of getting back to the mystical heart of some of the kaiju stories i think that is i think it's i think it's doing something very very similar yeah um, unfortunately that's one of the reasons it probably didn't play just about anywhere a bummer, else it because, is i mean super japanese i i've been harping about some of the stuff i didn't like about it but this it's only because this film does so much that i freaking love and for personal enjoyment i was on on board with this movie the entire time despite my really sharp criticism of the last 15 minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. um which i think should have been cut off i think for personal enjoyment though i'm with you nine out of ten i think this movie has such a fantastic angle to come at story i love this is what i wanted from the ultra crew episodes i wanted this like deep eerie x-files mystery and these people going on their own journey and they're they're you know coming face to face with their own socio-political cultural beliefs about what's happening in the modern age and we get some really phenomenal storytelling we get some just excellent atmosphere and yes, while I personally believe this is a kaiju adjacent film, because while a kaiju is there, it is very much a non-factor mm. for most of this movie. Awesome design. The destruction scenes are cool. But at the end of the day, this is a movie that does something different. And I mean, it takes you for a ride. And it's a ride unlike any that we've been on with most of our films. But we will see have ripple effects in kaiju cinema, which I'm very oh, excited yes. about. So and yeah, it's nine, nine out of ten for me. It's not on our list, but one of my favorite mecha films, uh, I think it's also kind of kaiju film, is Pat Labor Three, which is it's got like a whole nother uh, <laughs> subtitle name, but is also 
the, the giant monster doesn't show up until the very end. Basically the same thing with the pat labors, but it's really about like this investigation. I love that our all of our main characters are reporters here and really diving yeah, into that world. It does a great job with that. In in the nineties. Although they're they're really TV documentarians, but they they feel like newspaper reporters, which is the the funny thing. Uh what about for the the technical elements, Miles? What so, rate it there? I do have some issues with this script. I, mm-hmm. I do think Story-wise, some of the characters should have been fleshed out a little bit better, specifically the relationship between Hoshino and Majime. I just I think that thing mm-hmm. was so close to doing something. And then again, that whole what felt like an epilogue, I understand what they were doing. I wish they had done it differently and executed it a little bit better. So that really knocks it down for me. I think the special effects are are excellent. I think I think Akio uh, Jisoji directed the crap out of this movie. It has such a gorgeous visual style. The acting's it, excellent. It's one of the most beautiful kaiju movies I've ever seen. Yeah, and- the, I, but I, I am docking severe points for the script because that didn't affect my enjoyment to the of the movie to a distracting level in the mm-hmm. last twenty minutes. So I'm giving it an eight out of ten. It has mystery movie pacing in in a lot of parts and like i said it is a movie you have to pay attention to i'm right there with you i think with with the eight out of ten this movie's technical aspects are are really good like i said i i guess maybe because i was expecting more something akin to the television show but they they really even in like the small effects of like the forest transforming into night and the the crazy alien lighting everywhere it kind of looks cheesy, like '90s cheesy, but it also fits really well with like thematically, like what they're going for. Mm-hmm. And then just the locations that they shoot around, I guess Tokyo, where that the TTV is. The and contrasting those to the um, the temple and the shrine, the aisles that they go to, it's just so beautiful, so amazing. I mean. Boy, I'm so glad we got to watch this movie. Uh, yeah, so an 8 out of 10 for the technical aspects. I'm digging it a little bit for some of the pseudimation. You know, you catch Nagira at certain angles, and he's a pretty goofy-looking kaiju. But <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the destruction sequences. You know, I yeah, kind of wish there there was more. But, I, you know, this movie, I, I think it needs the kaiju for the connection to Ultra Q. I mean, there, there's I, I, another... can, I can see that. I, but I also, like, for me... That you could have done something else and the movie would have retained its entire spirit. Well, in 2004, they had a new Ultra Q series, Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, and then mm-hmm. Neo Ultra Q started in 2013. Both of those series, I don't think we're going to take a look at because I don't think either of them do have kaiju related plots it is more kaijin kind of like monsters. X-Files-y stuff. That, that makes sense because, I mean, since yeah. then you have the X-Files, you have stuff like fringe and all this like crazy yes. science stuff. So like, it makes sense to let, let ultra Q full on do that, which I am, I'm game with. Well, they're also still making Ultraman at the time. Yeah, so that, they've that, got that their also, also like since 1995 or six Ultraman has been in regular rotation. So there's really no need <laughs> for this film's evocative nature as, as a piece of art. I'm going to a nine out of 10 for it because I do feel like we are going to see ripples of this movie in a ton of films that are going to take a a look at the the I guess the more human related story of mm-hmm. of kaiju films like ripples that we're going to see in the Gamera Heisei films not so much in the Godzilla movies um, 
not yet anyway but yeah even further on into the the 2000s where you know things like the host come up um which is very much a a family drama and mystery series in its own kind of way smaller movies like uh dimicking the sea monster i I think are directly related to to this movie a lot of stuff i've never seen which i'm very excited about uh does seem to be related to this one and this is just a beautiful movie in its own right i'm talking at a point because it obviously hasn't touched a lot of american kaiju movies uh, but this feels like it is no i mean yeah yeah that's the cultural reach of it but i feel like both the ultra q tv series and this movie have a, a much more lasting impact in japan so I'm excited to to see any movies that are half as as interesting as this one. Uh, what about you, Miles? For so for the very same reason that I I mean I mentioned this in my in my personal enjoyment, uh, I I consider this hand in hand with Tremors as being a similar type of movie. This movie mm-hmm. is a kaiju adjacent film that really understands the nature of the monster movies of which it is playing with, and I think it takes. I think it's an interesting thing to to, like ultra Q was initially about more humans doing things. Yes. You had a giant monster, but like it was about the crew. And so making a movie that really zeroes in on that and the importance of a member of the crew, I think was really something special. I'm also digging a point because yeah, it's, it's, it's reach has yet to really have left uh, the Japanese shores, except for like avid fans, like uh, the people who, might be listening to this podcast of, or us or people like us, but yeah, I'm giving it a nine out of 10. I think, I think Ooh. this is, this is an exceptional film. And, and despite some flaws, which, you know, I dinged it where it needed. I ding it. I, I was on the fence of giving it an eight or nine for my personal enjoyment, but because the journey of this film was so good, even, even though the last, you know, 15 minutes overdid it. I, I was like, this, this is still, this is an excellent movie. It, I think putting in in a spot like this also highlights how good of a film it is mm-hmm. and will hopefully inspire people to check it out because, and I mean, you can, I mean, I saw it on YouTube, you know, it's, it's not difficult to find now yeah, your enjoyment great... might depend on the subtitles that you have, because I don't, I don't know if there's official subtitles or not. They seemed official. I think, I think this was given a, an English track, an official English track. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From the ultra fandom. Wikipedia says this is the first Subaraya movie since 1984 that had a giant monster in it. So, I mean, we're talking about mm-hmm. something kind of keeping the brand alive. Well, Ultraman was Ultraman was doing like animated shows and compilation movies still in the 80s. Yeah, they, they were doing. And then they had a couple of um, American attempts. <laughs> yeah, American animated uh, movie. Well, no, no, um, they had some live action attempts. Oh, goodness gracious. So that that I mean, both of our scores round up to a a nine with eight point six uh, mm-hmm. makes the podcast final a nine out of ten. I did not. I was I was thinking this might have been like a seven, maybe an eight, until I watched this movie because uh, <laughs> I'd only seen you know screenshots and, and and read very little about it for going in. So I was pleasantly surprised, and like I said, I really want to watch this again. Yeah, I I was. I was really taken by it. I, I I had a feeling that I might dig it just because it something about like 
that brain this of science time, fiction. This time period too. Yeah, Miles. that too. It's nineties, late late eighties, early nineties. Starting off firing from all cylinders. This this is so far a pretty excellent decade. Uh, I, I I'm yeah. pretty happy with it. I mean, this, this movie is it got it got the score that Tremors should have gotten. Um, <laughs> and so I close. So I, I I'm a big fan, so I'm I'm happy to see it sitting where it is. I'm I'm just so surprised that this decade is is starting off so strong. I, I know we're gonna get some some tens <laughs> this uh, this season, but oh yeah, we got the '98 movie coming up, don't we? <laughs> I'm going to burn that film to the ground <laughs> by comparison. Um, Miles, uh, where, where can folks reach us if they want to? If they want to watch this movie and then come back and tell us their thoughts, which they should. Yeah, uh, you can uh, email us at kaiju versus history at gmail.com. You can tweet to us while you still can at kaiju versus history and go to our website, kaiju versus history.com. Please rate and review our show, comment, share with your friends, and let us know what you think. Uh, you can also check out our letterboxd account, kaiju versus history, to see all our reviews and our watch list of films. Patrick. What are we doing next week? Thank you, Miles. We're going to get you next time on the podcast when I think the Heisei era is really going to hit its full swing because we are staying in Japan for for our next episode, Miles. And we're back to the big G once <laughs> more. That's right. Tune in next time for history versus Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Ghidorah, bum bum.